Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You are listening to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Happy to have all of you with us. We are in week one. I am Anthony Cazenza. And to help us kick off week one, John Sheeran, we have a very special guest and we are grateful to have him. Why don't you do the honors of introducing our special guest this week? Yes, for the second time this offseason and this offseason is coming to a close in a couple of days. We are bringing on ESPN Bengals reporter Ben Baby. Ben, say what's up to the people, man. Hey, how are y'all doing? Doing well, doing well. I'm doing well. It's week one, you know. How how are you? How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm good. I mean, we've we've slogged through. I think if you get through training camp, you're just happy. Once week one gets here, I think by the time that that space between the end of camp and that first game, you've went over almost every part of the off season that you could have possibly done. And it's better in the NFL because you have the off season's a little busier than in college. But you just you can only write so many things about speculation, and then it's just. I think everybody's just ready to see what this team is going to look like. And that goes for every every team across you know the NFL, but specifically with the Bengals. I mean, I think we're all just interested to see when you have so many new pieces, particularly this young quarterback. I think we're all just fascinated to see how this is going to be. I don't think it's going to be pretty because, I mean, I, when you look at some of these college games over the weekend, there was not great football being played. And I imagine some of that's probably due to the pandemic. And, you know, like I was watching um, English Premier League soccer I'm a big Arsenal fan, unfortunately, so I just enjoy pain and misery. Um, but like when they restarted, like the, the the level of play just wasn't very good, and they just were. I mean, they trained, but they just for whatever reason just not great. So I wonder if we're going to see some of that on week one. So you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens. But nonetheless, I think we're all just happy football is here. Yeah, you know what? I, I've been meaning to ask this. I mean, it's been in my mind like. Throughout training camp, you guys were regular, were just regulated to just what behind the end zone viewing for training camp. At least the practices that are open to the media. I believe Correct. a couple of the athletic guys and Dana Junior. and Morrison ended up uh, scaling the bridge or whatever. Did you have any yeah. inclination of doing that, or did you just stick with the binoculars behind the end zone? Uh, I, I think the the correct and diplomatic answer is that I'd stayed behind the sideline. Yes. Okay. That's fair enough. Okay. I'm going to pull up something for you here, Ben, uh, because my my colleague, I believe, was the one who wrote this uh, on CincyJungle.com. It is a recent injury report, uh, and on it is Geno Atkins and Mike Daniels. Geno Atkins has sat out two of the last three days. We now find out that he has a shoulder injury, did not practice Wednesday Mike Daniels has a groin issue, did not practice, Dunlap kind of rest. So all of a sudden, that very deep defensive line is looking a little beleaguered heading into week one when we thought everybody was healthy, it was looking pretty good. 
what do you have any kind of updated info on what's going on there? Is this something that we as fans should be worried about with these guys? You know, I think we'll find out a little bit more tomorrow. And to be quite honest, nobody was really, from a beat perspective, nobody was really incredibly concerned because it wasn't abnormal for them to rest Gino or what we thought was resting Gino. And, you know, I think Daniels, I, I could, you know, it, during training camp, the team is not required to release injury updates. And you only get so much time uh, during these press conferences, especially when you have, you know, as many people as we do, especially from the in-house side, um, asking questions. So it does make it difficult at times for us to, to ask some things that we need to get done. And if, you know, I don't think any of us have really thought to ask about Gino and Mike until today. Um, and it is very surprising that, um, you know, that Gino and Mike were both listed on there. And as I tweeted earlier, now that move for Christian Cummington makes a lot more sense. Um, and you, you got to look at what uh, that line over the course of the offseason. First, you have Josh Tupau um, go ahead and, and, and say he's sitting out. Isaiah Prince, uh, you know, is the second one on the offensive side, obviously. But, you know, when Tupau sits out and then Glasgow – um, or Glasgow, excuse me, does not have his uh, doesn't clear his medical. Then you're looking at some problems at depth on the defensive line, which you already had last season. When you go back to 2019, they were concerned with how many snaps Gino got, and that's something that they wanted to limit in 2020. So when they were, you know, you don't see Gino out there. You said, okay, this makes a ton of sense. Um, and now to see that you have these guys injured, now I know why they went and got Covington is because. If there is a long-term problem with one of those guys, we don't know because honestly, you know, Zach has not said anything about this. Um, you do need somebody there for that depth reason. And then Rennell Wren going on IR obviously doesn't help things as well. So, you know, it's going to be very fascinating to see what happens there. And, you know, as much as we talk about depth on that line, I still think that remains to be seen. And ultimately, your line is measured by how many sacks you produce. And, you know, the Bengals did a lot better at the end of last season. Uh, especially when the run defense was a lot better. I think that's something that many on staff have pointed out. But I'd, I'd like to see that throughout the beginning of this year before we say that this line is really a position of strength. Assuming everybody is healthy for week one, just assuming that Gino and Daniels will be able to go, that that vacant spot left when Josh Tuba opted out, that five technique spot on their on the defensive line, do you have any inclination about who's really taking that spot? Is is that is that Christian Covington's spot to take, or is Mike Daniels kind of taking over that spot? So, so the 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 what has been relayed to me is that this is actually going to look more like a traditional three four. I mean, it, it was a three four quote unquote in Luana Rumo's mind, but obviously that didn't actually look like a three four last year. But in the way that he visualized it on the field last season, in his mind, that was a three four. Well. They got the pieces to actually run a 3-4 where you're playing DJ Reader at, at a zero or shaded. You know, you would put an ideal world. You put, um, you know, uh, Gino at the three-tech, and then you would, you know, figure out what to do with Sam and Carlos on the edges and then fill from there. Now it is going to be it is going to be interesting what happens. And, uh, you know, I, I if they are healthy, I think you will see a more traditional 3-4 look. If they're not, it's going to be fascinating. But – I think the caveat in all of this is you're nobody's really playing base anymore. Like it's just in modern football, it's very rare that you're going to see someone playing a majority of their snaps at four, three or three, four, you're going to see basically unofficially base dime. Um, and, and uh, you know, you looked at the Bengals depth chart and that's what they listed on there as a four, two, five. And so it is, it is fascinating because, you know, in, in, in one side, Lou is saying, okay, we are going to be more of a traditional three, four, but really, you are the game in general is just shifting more to, to more people playing nickel um, and dime. Excuse me, I was I meant nickel earlier. So it's going to be really interesting what that defense is going to look like. But from my understanding, 
when they got Reader, it was with the intention of this being a more traditional 3-4 base hook. Talking with ESPN's Ben Baby, joining us on the program once again. Uh, very thankful for your time, Ben. I know you're a really busy guy this time of year, so appreciate you spending some time with us and helping us preview week one, Chargers at Bengals. We've got a lot to ask you, but I guess we, we should start with kind of the, the star of the show, if you will, Joe Burrow. You were here, and you had up-close personal access with Andy Dalton. You've had kind of the same, given the pandemic issues, but you've had kind of the same this year with Joe Burrow. What's the difference? I mean, I, I, we know the talent. We know what we saw in college. I mean, what what's what's the Joe Burrow effect on the locker room? Are even reporters like yourself coming away chatting with that guy, going, "Wow, this guy has it." Yeah, you know, I you know when I first met Joe in March when he was training with Jordan Palmer, and you know, he's just even just him throwing. You know, it was it was interesting. We were out there doing a story on Jordan and. You know, he was throwing with Josh Allen, uh, Sam Darnold, Kyle Allen. They were all out there. Um, you had other, you know, other college quarterbacks. Then Cole McDonald uh, joined joined in the mix. And Joe was just like all locked in all the time. Like we were in Dana Point. It was March. It was before coronavirus hit, and it looked like you know it was it was about as laid back as you could be. And Joe was just locked in. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, and I think he knew the task ahead. And you know, the, every time you talk to anybody about Joe. I mean, everyone's just been nothing but impressed with, with the way that he carries himself, uh, the, the kind of confidence he instills in the team. And I think that all you need to know about Joe is that he spent the off season worried about how he would sound. Like that's something that a lot of people do not think about. You think about, okay, how am I going to throw? But Joe was most worried about how he was going to sound in the huddle and his pre-snap cadence. And so like they would go and, and on zoom in the off season, he'd be in the basement and, and Brian Callahan and Dan Pitcher would queue up, um, you know, like Peyton Manning or or whoever you just name some some quarterbacks that they've worked with over the years, and Joe would try to mimic their cadence at the line of scrimmage. I mean, it was funny. You if you talk to guys he played with at Ohio State, that was actually something that a lot of people didn't think he was very good at early on. And so the fact that he worked on that and is now a strength of his is really fascinating, and everyone has raved about that. And you know, I think Joe really wants to know all the innate details of what it takes to be a very success, successful quarterback. I think that's why he's been so good at every level. I mean, he just works really hard at it, and he wants to be good. So in terms of the on-field, um, you know, how that's going to look on game day, it's going to be fascinating. You know, I think Mike Leach is, you know, I'm a very strong uh, subscriber to Mike Leach's quarterback philosophy is that a quarterback is either accurate or he's not. Um, and, and Joe Burrow, from what we saw last season, was incredibly accurate when we've seen him. Um, in 11 on 11, like true live settings, he's looked good, um, you know, and he's able to put, you know, bad reps behind him, which I think is going to be very uh, instrumental as a rookie because I'm sure he's going to have a ton of those bad reps. The one question that I do have is I, I want to see what the arm strength looks like on game days. I still think, you know, there, you know, a, a lot of people said, okay, there isn't really much of a concern for it. Uh, but you have seen that be, you know, throughout camp, you have said, you know, if his arm was a little bit stronger, that throw would probably be a little bit better. What Joe has been able to do in college is he's been able to offset the lack of arm strength with his great timing. Um, and Joe, I think, will get that down as he gets more reps and gets a better feel for the windows, the breaks, and all of that. I think his, his progression from year one to year two at LSU is a testament to that. However, even Brian Callahan did admit during the pre-draft process that the arm strength was a little bit of a concern early in the 2019 season. But as the year progressed, he was able to make the throws he needed. So I'm very curious to see how that looks and how that translates into the NFL. 
uh, because those windows are going to be tighter. You're just going to have to be able to be even that much more precise and get the ball out quickly because, you know, Joe, you know, does not have the arm strength to overcome that. Did anything about the initial 53 man roster surprise you in any way? Not really, honestly, you know, if we're going to be, if we're going to keep it a buck, like I just, I, I think it was pretty much what we expected. Uh, you know, I, I'm big shout out to uh, Jordan Evans. I think a lot of us didn't think he was going to make the roster. And I think that, um, I think he deserves a ton of credit. Alex Erickson's a guy, I think that he fought to keep his spot um, and did well. Maybe that was a little overblown, but I, I had the impression that I thought that he had a chance to be on the bubble, especially when you look at the receivers that they brought in. Um, you know, I, I, it's hard for him as he continues, you know, to find a role, but he, he looked really good in that first scrimmage that we saw had a couple of nice catches and, um, you know, continues to be an asset. So I think he deserves a ton of credit. Samaje P. Ryan, another guy, Trayvon Williams clawed onto his spot as well. Uh, but by and large, there were no really big surprises. I think a, a little surprise that Dolagala didn't get carried. They kept Allen instead of Dolagala. I think that was a little bit of a surprise there. Because, um, again, I, I, I still contend, I, I understand why Zach and, and the coaching staff felt like they wanted to roster that third quarterback. But, you know, when you didn't renew Andy, you knew you were probably getting a first-round QB, and that guy was probably going to be your starter. Um, so I, I don't know why you'd use that spot on Dolagala unless you just wanted to see what, what he wanted to look like as a project. But I think that was really the only only one because you, you kept a guy on your 53 for all of one season. Next year he's not even on your practice squad. So – uh, that's the that's the only one that that kind of jumped out, but otherwise, I think everything was was true to the chalk. Talking with ESPN's Ben Baby on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals po- podcast, uh, grateful for his time and for him joining us on this busy week as the initial week of the NFL season, the 2020 NFL season is kicking off. The Bengals are set to host the Chargers. We're taught we'll talk a little bit more deep dive in in that specific game in just a second. Ben, what what should fan expectations be for AJ Green this year? I, I, mean, I think a lot of people are hoping this huge AJ Green like season that we're we became accustomed to in the uh, you know the 2011 through 2015 type of type of deal. Obviously, the injuries played a toll. He seems to be healthier this year, but there was a little bit of a hamstring issue. I mean, do we ex- should we expect the trademark AJ Green type of season? maybe a little watered down one or should, should expectations really be tempered? Do you think going into this year for a variety of reasons? You know, it's, it's really hard because I still don't really know what to make of AJ yet. I mean, when you talk to his, the people he trained with over the off season, including his longtime trainer that he's had essentially since he's been in the league, um, you know, they've said nothing, but that AJ has looked phenomenal throughout the off season. I mean, he looked, uh, he, he did, a, he was, he was trained. He was full all the way through. Uh, he actually switched up his training a little bit to work on injury prevention, uh, work on his landings. Um, and so he's starting to kind of augment his training uh, regimen as he gets older to kind of prevent some of these injuries. I think that was fascinating um, that, that he did that as well. And you know, honestly, I wonder if the hamstring injury wasn't part of maybe potential overuse uh, from how, how hard he did train in the off season. I mean, one of his trainers told me we would work for multiple hours. Then he'd go home and hit the hop on the Peloton and just keep mm-hmm. going after it. And so he put on a lot, he did a lot of work this off season. And, and, you know, I wonder if that, and, you know, you know, oftentimes you see soft tissue injuries are because of overuse as we've seen with John Ross over the years. I was hamstrings, definitely number one for that. Um, and so I wonder if that wasn't the case with AJ. And that's why I think Zach probably did the right thing in shutting him down for most of camp, because if it is overuse, there's no point in putting him out there. And honestly, if you're going to have him get hurt again, at least have him happen in the game. Don't have it happen in a, in a practice in August. So, um, you know, if he is healthy, I think that's always what it's going to revolve around. I mean, we've seen what he's able to do. 
Um, and he feels really good about this season. Um, he knows that this is a big prove it year for him. And, you know, he wants to go secure the bag and, and for him to be able to do that, he's got to be healthy. And so, you know, it, it, it's, I think a lot of it's also going to hinge on Burrow and how well he adapts as well. So I, I would say it's probably not going to be the AJ green that we remember from 2015, but I think it's going to be um, something that's probably close to it as Burrow finds its footing um, and, and he stays healthy. I think th- there's a lot of things that are revolving around the whole AJ green, you know, situation, but by and large, I think that he should look pretty good if he's on the field. I think a lot of people foresaw the Joe Mixon extension actually happening, and it, and it did. But now that it did happen, what, what was your reaction to, I guess, the, the the details of the contract? Do you believe that it was team friendly enough, or was it what, what did it match Mixon's ability enough? And I guess going into this season, do you foresee Mixon's um, usage in the passing game being? Um, it, used a little bit more to, I guess, justify that contract. Yeah, honestly, I was actually a little surprised they got that contract done um, I, I, for, for it to drag on as long as it did. I mean, I guess everyone just wanted to wait until the deadline, use as much leverage as they possibly could, and then get it over with. Uh, but, you know, I asked Duke about it point blank um, at the combine. I said, you know, Duke, guys don't really – you know, teams don't really pay court, like running backs like that anymore. And that's, there's generally a strong philosophy against it. Um, and Duke's answer was, if we feel like someone is valuable, we'll pay them the money. We don't really care about the position. I said, that, that's fine. And you go look, and, you know, they, they sunk a ton of money into Carlos Dunlap, sunk, sunk a ton of money into Geno Atkins. So, you know, the precedent is there for them to spend money on guys that they value. Um, and, and by and large, I think a lot of the a lot of the reason they paid Joe was not just for the on-field production, but they really feel like he's a guy in the locker room who could be a leader who, who is, uh, you know, he takes winning very seriously. And, and I don't know if that was always the case with some of the guys in that locker room last year. And and, and Zach is fully aware of that. And, and he's a big Joe Mixon supporter. And, and when you talk about the culture that Zach wants to build, I think Joe is a big dynamic of that. I think the front office probably factored that into the equation as well. And they've admitted to that as much. Now, if, if he will get used more in the passing game, that is a very interesting question. I don't know, to be honest. I, I really don't. I mean, if you look at the usage of Todd Gurley in 18 and Zach's here there, Gurley was really good, and, and they did use him in, in the past game a lot. You know, I, I the Oakland game last year is a prime example. You know, Joe had a – you know, he's able to make a guy miss. They threw it out to the flats, and he was able to break off a 17-yard gain. But then later on in the game, Joe dropped a touchdown. Like, he just dropped it. They had it was, it was, It was a really well-schemed out play, and it just didn't happen. Um, and, and someone pointed out that out to me this offseason that you can scheme it for Joe, but it's just you know, not necessarily you know, always going to work out. And I think what's actually interesting as well is I don't know if Joe Mixon views his role that way either. I mean, he did that at Oklahoma, but when we talked to him last year, his idea of like a dream scenario, you have you're in a two tight end set, you've got a fullback, and there's just you're running downhill and you're going. And that's kind of what Joe wants. He wants to have you know, the ball 30 times a game in his hand. He wants to be running with steam, have, you know, a strong blocking um, advantage. And, I don't, you know, now you're seeing the game kind of go to numbers in the box. Like that's kind of how things transition. And I think Joe is slowly starting to realize that. I think he'll, you know, last year he did a really good job of, of, of biting his tongue. Like I'm sure he was very frustrated with the lack of running game. And essentially they, they, retooled, they admitted they were wrong in the run scheme and retooled it. And it worked out well at the end of the year. Now, that being said, um, you know, I've never gotten a whiff that Joe is, you know, upset with the way that the usage is. I think he'll do whatever they ask him to do. But I think there also has to be an understanding that he's got to be willing to be using the pass game. And Zach's got to want to do that as well. Because, you know, as we, we saw with Eckler last year, Austin Eckler, 
uh, with the Chargers. I mean, the way that they lined him up and his usage uh, was really interesting. And I think that's kind of where the running back position is headed. So, you know, it, it is fascinating. I mean, we could talk about at length about, you know, where the running back game is. and Because I do think that there's a place for that style of game, but you've got to predicate your entire team around it, which is essentially what Tennessee did last year. Um, so you've really got to go that route or you've got to go the other way. Like you can't play this middle ground role, but that's another conversation for another day. Ben, you touched on a little bit in, in your what you were saying with Joe Mixon and his new contract a little bit in that, you know, there was a, a locker room change into this season and they maybe shed some dead weight off the roster and they completely overhauled the linebacker group. I think they brought in five offseason acquisitions at that position group alone, brought in a lot of different help at defensive line, and there should be significant upgrades with Mike Daniels, DJ Reader, Christian Covington even getting in there. I mean, that those should all be nice pieces up front. Obviously, the quarterback. Where I'm going with this, and and one of our listeners in, in the live chat talked about this, we're two pieces away from the Super Bowl uh Tyler Fee says you know that may be quite optimistic but I guess this is where I'm going with this is just as we head into week one of the 2020 season just how improved do you think this team really is at this point in time from where they were last year I think they're better I mean it's hard to be worse than two and 14 I mean right. I'm number one for a reason but that being said, I, I do. I think Tyler was a little bit optimistic in saying that's all they're, all they're away from for a Super Bowl. Uh, I think these these new guys have a lot to prove. And to be honest, like I think linebacker is probably the number one position that I'm watching uh, because I mean, I'll ask y'all. I mean, did y'all ever think that the linebackers weren't free to make plays last year? Did you all did y'all think the DTs didn't do their job? I don't. I wouldn't think so. Like sometimes, I listen. Preston Brown's a very nice guy. I I don't think he was in even the correct zip code at times. No play. Like I would just stop a play, him and Vigil at times both, or you go, yeah. the play is here. What exactly are we looking right. at? Because the, the, the right. play is happening, the linebacker, like your Mike linebacker, who should be like how has that gap responsibility is just gone. Like he's completely in the wash or just somewhere <laughs> just roaming around. And the fact that the defense got so much, I feel bad because Preston is a nice guy, but just didn't I mean it just didn't work out. Um, but you, I mean it was an immediate change. It was like that the second they said, All right, we're putting Pratt in there. I mean, that defense got remarkably better. So here's the thing about the defensive upgrades is that I don't know if it necessarily addressed what needed to be addressed. I think the quarterback situation, you know, Wayne's I think is, is a, was a good sign. I mean, it was an expensive sign. Um, I don't know if that – I mean, that's a contract that will be interesting to watch as it, as it continues to, you know, over the life of that deal. But in my, my mind, like the, the things that you really need to work on were pass coverage. And honestly, pass rush I still think is primarily a concern because – you know, I know that Carlos has some good tape and has some good numbers, but by and large, the pass rush on this team is Geno Atkins. I mean, you go and look, that is the guy who really strikes fear. I mean, he's your Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald type for years. And for me, when I look at the defensive line, I still don't know if there's a guy that really strikes fear and in a, like you, that's who you're scheming around. Like that's who you're really nervous about. And granted, they did get better at the end of the year. And so I want to reserve judgment, but you know, I, I think the team did get better by and large, but I still think there's a lot of question marks that you're not going to answer until they hit the field. John, it seems like you want to disagree, so I, I want to I want to hear what you've got to say. 
No, I I couldn't hear the last like thirty seconds of that conversation. I think I like lagged out for something. But I I do I do agree that they didn't those linebackers last year didn't understand what a run fit was or just didn't know how to understand keys. But I think that was a point of emphasis for this offseason. And then you brought in a lot of guys that can combat what a lot of offenses in the AFC North are running. What do you foresee? I guess with this division right now, with with how every other team kind of improved, and I guess this is, can kind of be preluded into like I guess a season prediction, but. Um, do, do you see like the Bengals have been improved the most out of the entire FC North? Do you, do you think they made enough moves to, guess, to c- compete with the with the Browns and the Steelers? Because they're not close to the Ravens yet, but at least to take that next step. That's I don't know. That's tough to say because I, I, I'm still, you know, it's been my my view's been pretty myopic for the most part on, on where this team stacks up. And right now, I've got them at six and ten. Um, and where that puts them in the, in the rest of the AFC North, you know, it's just going to depend on how the Steelers look. Obviously. You know, I, I don't know how good, how much Roethlisberger's got left in the tank. I think that's probably on the verge of a full rebuild. Now, the front office is very good. Um, so, you know, I think by and large, I don't think there's any any mistaking the fact that the two best front offices in the division are in, in Pittsburgh and in Baltimore, and Baltimore arguably being the best. I don't think that's really up for debate here. Um, so, you know, but I do think the Steelers are probably at the verge of, of looking at a rebuild. Um, I, you know, I don't know what Roethlisberger's going to have left in the tank. I, I do like what they've done defensively over there. Um, you know, in Cleveland, I mean, you, you look at what they've done. I mean, that thing is just, that, that thing is a mess most of the time. You know, I think I like some of the pieces that they have. Can they put it all together with another new coach, you know, is, with Alex Van Pelt, interesting enough, is he going to call plays and what's that going to look like? Um, I still like, I think Baker has enough pieces around him. Uh, but, you know, as we said, I mean, last year, everybody was singing the Browns praises and it just all fell apart. Um, so, you know, I, I think the Bengals are still, I think if you can get to six or seven wins, seven wins, you're really, that's a really nice season. If you can get to six, because that's around the over and under, I think, and if they look good at the end of the year, I mean, that's really the most important thing. Can they get some wins in December? How do they look at the end of this thing? Because really, you still are a few pieces away from really being, I think you still are, you're, the rebuild isn't over yet. I think that you still need another offseason for that to occur. And so the, for me, the playoff window doesn't really open until 2021. So if I'm looking at the Bengals, I'm not really looking at, okay, how do they ra- stack up against the rest of the division? Because right now in my mind, that doesn't really matter. We know where the Ravens are at, and you're looking at, okay, where's the window next? For me, that window's in 2021. So you're saying, okay, we want to see some progress in this team from 2-14 and 14 to maybe 6-10. and 10. If you get to 7-9 and nine or even 8-8, eight and eight, that's a hell of a year. Uh, but by and large, you're setting things up for 2021. That's what this whole season's about. Well, Ben, you you told us you, you took one of the questions I was going to ask you with the predict record prediction. So let's move into Week One. What are some of the areas of this game matchup wise, individual player wise? You mentioned linebackers, kind of intriguing to you. Maybe even the cornerbacks, even though Trey Waynes will not be out there. Um, those are some of the players you might you may be watching. But matchups you're looking at. And maybe how you see this game going for the Bengals as they host the Chargers in Week One. Yeah, you know, I think I've got. Um, I think the big one that everyone wants to watch are, are the D, D, uh, the Chargers DNs versus uh, the Bengals offensive line. I mean, Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. I mean, those guys are vicious. Um, and you know, Bosa and Joe Burrow are very good friends too. So I'm sure Bosa is going to be uh, itching to get back in the pocket and say something to Joe, um, <laughs> and then he'll rub it in after the game as well. Um, and if Joe if Joe ends up making them look dumb, like Joe will be the first one. To let Joey know as well. So uh, that's going to be a very fun matchup for those guys. I'm sure not during the game, but like they'll, they'll enjoy it. Um, and then, but you know, it's, it's going to be a good test for Jonah Williams. 
Uh, you know, when you've got, you know, a guy like Miles Garrett that you're playing twice a year, the Baltimore defensive line looks great. Like Pittsburgh's good. Like you know, there's no sort shortage of good defensive, you know, edge rushers and, and, and pass rushers in the division and, and who the Bengals are going to face. So, you know, I, I think I'll, I'm really curious to see how Jonah looks, you know, how Bobby Hart looks on the right side and, and how much growth he's shown, you know, Mike Jordan's had some interesting, some good reps um, throughout mm. camp. He's also had some bad reps at times, but I think you're going to see some growth out of him. I mean, people forget he was a really young guy last year. So mm. it's kind of, I mean, a lot of time, I mean, he's still kind of, you know, just barely not a teenager. So, you know, I think the second year you're going to see some growth out of him, uh, but that that's a big matchup. And then, you know, Austin Eckler against, you know, the middle of the field, the Bengals gave up more yards in the middle of the field last year than any team in the NFL uh, through the year. Um, and it wasn't even close. So are, the, are the Chargers going to be able to expose that? How is Luana Rimo's team going to look? Um, and the thing that I want to preface is that this first week, as we saw last year, can be absolute fool's gold. I mean, everyone who saw that first week last year was like, oh, like I saw I saw some takes uh, last year. They're like, listen, this team isn't going to be awful. Like we've proved like, like there was a lot of people writing like, oh, like this isn't going to be awful. And then, you know, I saw somebody say, well, not only is it awful, it's awful with an extra side of awful. Um, and so like that first week, I mean, that's the thing is, is that you can, there's really no tape, especially this year. So you can kind of get in a cat and mouse game and probably play a team a little bit closer than what it looks like. But as the season progresses, you're going to get a more true read on how good this team's going to be. I mean, like I said, I don't know how clean this game is going to be from an execution standpoint. You didn't get to tackle, you know, hardly any, if you know, at all, I don't think the Bengals really even tackled during camp. Um, and the Chargers, I'm not, I'm not sure what they did, but I'm sure that they were light as well. You're not getting a lot of really live reps. Um, and so you're probably not going to get a lot of scoring. I think I've got it at 20 to 14. I think that was my official prediction. I think the Bengals will be able to get two touchdowns in. Uh, but I've got the Chargers winning this one. Um, you know, the big X factor on the other side of the ball was, you know, Tyrod Taylor, at quarterback. What's that going to look like? You know, you've had Phillip Rivers, who I think is, has been a very underrated quarterback throughout his career. I think it's just – I mean, he's put up insane numbers as someone who enjoyed his his receivers, his fantasy targets on my team over the years. I always knew I was going to get good production. And I think, you know, in a post-Philip Rivers era, what is that team going to look like? Um, because they're also kind of in a rebuild as well. I mean, you're mostly just buying time until Justin Herbert comes in and takes over as your starter. So, you know, I, I don't think – I mean, the Bengals, it should be a fairly competitive and close game, but I do think the Chargers at this point are in a better position – uh, to, to, to be competitive, especially when you look at how many new pieces the Bengals are trying to fit in on week one. I didn't even think about the post-Philip Rivers aspect because if Philip Rivers was still there, I would have guessed that the Bengals would have been up by a touchdown with about a minute to go and Philip Rivers would have been at the, his own two-yard line. But Ben, taking a lot of your time tonight, I just want to ask you uh, just once, how many times are you going to enter my mentions without following me, man? Listen, I, listen, I've got a, listen, I've got a strong Bengals timeline up. And to be honest, I don't even check most of the time when I'm checking Bengals stuff, I really don't even check my home feed. So I, I, I just do that on there. And so if I could, most of the time it's a, um, it's kind of a courtesy thing to follow people back. But by and large, I just, I just go ahead and keep it on the left. But TweetDeck now, you don't even got to worry about uh, what tweets you don't see or you do see. I mean, I'm basically, if you're on that feed, I follow you. So, um, and, and to be fair, my tweets are trash. So I, I always don't know why anybody <laughs> follows me. So. That, that's the thing. My tweets are trash too. Like, like we're we're, we're meant to follow each other here, you know. All right, that, I, I, that's good I, enough. That's I, good I, enough. I'll it over 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 the weekend, and, and I'll give it I'll give it a look here. Y'all y'all do produce some good content, so I I can't knock y'all there. I, I mean, and, and it's honestly we do need uh, people from like you know I think ours, there's a disdain from old media towards new new guys like what y'all do and, and what what Jake and and 
and what James Rapine and what Joe Goodbury do. I, I think there's a, definitely a space for that. And, and if anything, I think it makes beat writers be more honest. I think we have to be better at our jobs because there are people who are who are going to know what they're looking at. I mean, with the proliferation of, of tape and with stats and everything, you know, you can't really just run around and be a hack anymore and not get away with it. Like there's going to be people to call you on your bluff. So I think what y'all do from a school, for me, I, I really don't care about sport. Like, for me, the number one thing is sports writing. Like that's the thing I care about the most. Like I could care less if the Bengals go 0 and 16, 16 and 0, uh, whatever, anything in between, like, you know, what sport I'm covering, if I was covering field hockey or whatever. I think the number one thing is, you know, the, the art and craft of sports writing for me is, is the most important thing. And I think it's important to have, you know, in this structure, to have people, you know, be to kind of push the beat as a whole. I know this, I don't know, this is very probably not an answer you were expecting or whatever, but I think it's an important role that you all have as well because it also forces us to be better at our jobs, which I think by and large is good for fans because at the end of the day, I think your as a your fan base wins when you have people putting out, um, striving to put out the best content they possibly can. So hopefully, I know that the Bengals are are in a small market, and sometimes it may not feel like they get a lot of love. But I think this market does a really good job, and I think it's a a blended approach and what it needs to be in twenty twenty. Well, Ben, you don't. First of all, you are very good at what you do, which is sports writing, and we appreciate you coming on the, on the program. Uh, you know, you've been very kind to us and this program, so we we are very appreciative and keep up your good work. You don't have to follow me on Twitter. I mean, you can if you want to. I'm not that great at Twitter anyway, but you don't have to follow me. But hey, if you're down in Dana Point again, hanging with Jordan Palmer and the guys, I live like five minutes from there, literally. Oh, do you really? Yes. So. Hit me up. I'll get you. I'll get you your your coveted do- diet, Dr. Peppers. I'll get you a beer, whatever you need, my friend, and uh, we'll we'll talk some shop. Uh, but I'd, I'd love to hang out with you if you're down in this neck of the woods again. There you go. Yeah. No, I I thoroughly enjoyed Dana Point was probably the highlight of my 2020 so far. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm very jealous of you. But yeah, no, I'm I'm excited. We're we're finally going to get some football, and uh, we'll see what this Joe Burrow experience looks like. For it's going to be interesting one way or another. Well, thanks again, Ben. And uh, John, I appreciate you coordinating with Ben to get him on the program. We hopefully will talk to you again soon. And uh, hopefully this season, Ben, we'd love to have you back on the program. Of course, anytime. Y'all know where to find me. All right. Take it easy. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Ben Baby from ESPN joining the Orange and Black Insider. Happy to have him with us. Uh, great guy, very knowledgeable, and bringing the insight that hopefully 
fans appreciate. And I don't know how you couldn't appreciate that. The guy's just a wealth of knowledge and giving us all kinds of sights and sounds from the Bengals. I know there are some fans, John, that aren't necessarily happy about Ben's season prediction, game prediction. Look, he's not here to, you know, stroke your ego. He's here to give you, give you what, you know, give it like it is. Tell it like it is. I think ESPN did like some, they did that for like a focus group where it's like they made all their um, like TV personalities take it, tell it like it is like type of test and you test into like a certain type of percentile. And I would guess that Ben would test very high in that. And it's good that he pisses off fans because at that point, that means he's just telling the truth. So uh, that's why we that's why we bring him on, because we're not here to make you guys feel better. We're here you guys to, to, to literally tell it how it is. Yeah, I mean, if we could if they're not doing well or if things are a little sketchy, we're going to tell you about this. John, you send me a little message here. Are you sure you want me to share this uh, about a comment that was placed in the oh, plaster that make, make sure it's up there for the entire show? I want that up there the entire show. Okay, I'll find it here again. Um, I think it was like uh, like eight forty seven. Okay, I'll I'll look this yeah. up. It was a very interesting Daniel Randall man. That's a great last name. Yeah, Randall. Where is where is Randall tonight? The other Randall. Randall couldn't make the trip. I couldn't uh, stash him in in my my trunk. Not like the first time. When he was uh, well, let me see. You said eight forty seven, huh? Is that what you said? Here it is. Okay. Someone told me John Sheeran looks like a dirty Q-tip, and now I can't unsee that. So, John, you wanted me to share that. I had to, I had to double check that you actually wanted me to share that on the air. But uh, yeah, I didn't yeah, really and, and, and Jake Lisko, if you're still, on, if you're still in the comment section, we ignored you on purpose. <laughs> well, you got a shout out anyway, so it's yeah. it's good, it's all good. But wh- hi, Jake. I'll tell you hi, Jake. Even though you didn't want a high from me, you wanted a high from Ben, but that's okay. You got one anyway. But thanks to Ben Baby for joining us. And John, thanks for coordinating that. Uh, great interview and a great guest to as we get set here to kick off week one. We're going to talk a bit more about week one, both our own takes about the Cincinnati Bengals, as well as get a little bit of information around the division. Look at those games a little bit as well. Want to do a little bit of house cleaning uh, items for you and let you know once again that you can get this program on any number of audio platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your audio podcasts, we are there. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please do so. You can get content from John and I, as well as Matt Minnick and his Chalk Talk episodes that go up on our website. And, of course, the Cincy Jungle podcast channel also includes Orange is the New Black, the uh, Ace Boogie and Zim Hude led podcast. So get the show how you can. And if you haven't heard, we've teased it a couple of times now. I think Matt Minnick and John and I kind of threw it out there on Twitter a little bit as of Wednesday. We will be doing a pregame show, and John should be a lot of fun. It won't be a lot of buttoned up type of stuff it'll be kind of us hanging out talking bangles doing some different things but looking forward to it it should be a good time i think my buttons will pur- purposely be unbuttoned for that um, <laughs> i'll find a button shirt because i haven't worn one in i think seven months now because why the hell would anybody but um yeah if you guys are watching the pregame tailgate hopefully you guys absolutely uh it'll be a fun time it'll be a combination of John Sheeran, myself, Matt Minnick, will kind of be tag teaming the episodes. And of course, we will be bringing you post game shows as well for each game, uh, going over what 
just happened, giving you some instant reaction and analysis on how the Bengals fare after each game. John, are we really keeping up Danny Randall's comment uh, up, up the entire time? Look, man, you, you're on the control panel, man. I just made a request. Okay. Well, maybe maybe we'll pop it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hide it. Uh, I'm gonna hide it for now. Maybe we'll maybe we'll bring it back up. But uh, anyway, um, interesting comment from Danny Randall. How about how about Danny tells you who maybe who made that comment? Because he said he 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 passed the buck there. Did you notice that he said? Uh, oh, he's the else? messenger, but he still gets the flame for that. I mean, I'm I'm not here to be fair. I'm just here to make jokes. <laughs> Uh, well, John, let's move into some news and notes. We talked about the Cincinnati Bengals injury report. Um, again, for those uh, who, who missed it earlier, Geno Atkins has been out a couple days this week, and as of Wednesday, did not practice with a shoulder injury. Mike Daniels with a groin injury did not practice Wednesday. Carlos Dunlap also resting on Wednesday. You had a, a personal issue with LaShawn Sims, the cornerback, who has uh, actually been noticeably absent, I think, this entire week. Right, John? Um, so he's out there. And then, of course, uh, not Sean Williams still nursing that calf injury. So a little bit of all of the injuries are on the defensive side of the ball, at least noted on the Wednesday injury report. So that's a little concerning. Yeah, and I was trying to gauge an answer from Ben on this because if, I mean, if assuming Daniels like plays, like, I, w- I wanted to know who was going to be starting in, in that spot that Josh Tupo really took over uh, last year, because if Tupo doesn't play, you have to say that Christian Covington gets a ton of snaps. And this is a guy that in Houston and I think in Dallas last year played all over the uh, all over the defensive line, like for the majority of the time it was that, like an under tackle spot, which is at the three tech spot, which is what Geno Atkins plays. But I think he was brought in specifically to back up DJ reader. But when you have minimal depth there, then you have to use guys like Covington and Andrew Brown, who is, I guess, like the fifth defensive tackle on the depth chart now for, you know, 20 to 30 snaps this game because, um, you know, DJ Reader's first game, his, his debut with the Bengals, he's going to be out there for, I would have to guess, 70% of the snaps uh, if Daniels and or Atkins aren't able to go. And and the secondary, like, I, I don't think anyone expects Williams to play because he hasn't practiced in you know, like three weeks now. And I know that Jeff Hobson was saying that he was doing a lot of work on the rehab field, but until he actually practices, I doubt he's going to be able to play. And that's part of the reason why uh, they protected safety Trayvon Henderson on the practice squad mm-hmm. in case they had to activate him in case they felt that they needed to have a, a, fourth safe, a fourth safety out there. So if Williams doesn't play, does that mean that Von Bell plays a lot more? They don't re- use a lot of three safety rotations? Or does that mean that Brandon Wilson gets that gets that call? Because in training camp, when Williams got hurt, it was Trayvon Henderson who was taking a lot of Sean Williams' snaps, whether he was in the second team defense or whether he was rotated in with the ones. So yeah, a lot of injuries on the on the defensive side of the ball and that rotation that they wanted on the defensive line. Like like they, they have a decent rotation still, even with losing three defensive tackles. But if they don't have at least one of these guys, that rotation is going to be running a little bit thin now. It's unfortunate because those are the the defensive back group, namely cornerback and interior defensive line. That's really where the Bengals spent a lot of money and a lot of uh, time rebuilding this this offseason. And now, you know, it seemed everything was copacetic. And hey, as we go later in this week, as we sit here Wednesday night, as we go later in the week, it very well could be end up being fine. This could be, you know, both of those guys. Geno Atkins in his 11th year. I think Mike Daniels is in his ninth or 10th year. So, I mean, they're up there in age and maybe it's just a precautionary thing as it is with, with Carlos Dunlap, but uh, a little concerning there, obviously the Wayne's injury, you've got LaShawn Sims out now. I mean, kind of to me, it's not just, you know, a 
position group here and there kind of spread out. It's really kind of those two position groups wherein the Bengals really made a lot of acquisitions. And now it's as we get to week one, it's looking a little scary. Right. And if Sims is inactive, then that's I, it, it's OK, because at the end of the day, he's just a reserve cornerback. And right. normally, if you have six cornerbacks on the roster, you, you know, you going with five activists is not the worst thing in the world. If they are a live defensive line, look, if they have, I guess, seven to go and they don't activate or elevate anybody on the practice squad, like the only guy they could would be either Khalil McKenzie or Kendall Futrell. And well, I mean, one of them just joined the team about two weeks ago. So or I guess they still have Amani Bloodstone Freedom freedom a camelodo so maybe one of those guys gets elevated if they feel like they're really light light there but if they have to go seven defensive linemen yeah like i mean hopefully the chargers don't pass the ball that, that much with tyrod taylor because I mean, again that rotation is going to be thin but in the secondary i think with sims he's been out i think for i don't know a week or two with a, a an unidentified personal issue so they're not really giving us a lot of information about that but even if he does return to practice which seems kind of unlikely it doesn't seem like he's going to be active and we can kind of gauge i guess who these inactives are going to be for this week. If it is Sims, say it's, it is Sean Williams too. So that's at least two. And if they go eight offensive linemen active, that, that leads them to get 48 total active spots. So they only need just three more inactive players. And maybe that's one of Geno Atkins and Mike Daniels. Maybe it's both. And maybe then you have to pick between like Shaq Calhoun, who they just signed about a week ago, or like Travi- Travion Williams at running back. So at the end of the day, this team is still a lot more healthier than I think the perception is at the moment, especially with AJ Green and John Ross being full participants in practice, having no setbacks with their respective injuries. So the offense is looking good. And, and for Joe Burrow's first NFL game against a defense that has ferocious pass rush and talented cornerbacks, that's all you can ask for on that front. But yeah, the, that, that defensive line is going to have a tall task, especially against an offensive line of the Chargers that I think improved a lot this offseason. Yeah, covered stacked for Joe Burrow in his first start there. So, I mean, really, it. it it puts it takes pressure off of him to have so many surrounding weapons healthy and available on that side of the ball. But there's also pressure going to be put on them, pun intended, with you know the the offensive line coming under scrutiny here. John, I wanted to share this one too. I think most most Bengals fans have heard this now, but the, the captains have been announced. This article is up on Cincy Jungle, um, and you can uh, find out a little bit more information. But um, you know, any surprises for you on these seven names here? Vaughn Bell, Giovanni Bernard, Joe Burrow, Josh Bynes, A.J. Green, Kevin Huber, Sean Williams are the, the designated captains on this team this year. Well, when we talked about this about a month ago, I, I, I believe we mentioned like bon, like Von Bell being like a surprise or like an underdog candidate. And I believe we talked about Giovanni Bernard and, and A.J. Green becoming ca- uh, captains again. But this is three out of seven of these guys are like there are new additions for this year. And I think that's the most surprising thing where it's like we talked about guys like Sam Hubbard and Geno Atkins and Trey Hopkins, guys who have been with, with this team for multiple years now, guys who are incumbent veterans that have been this, inside this locker room. But you have a lot of new faces here now taking on leadership roles. But again, like these names, like throughout this offseason, like these these are guys that have assumed these these type of roles, specifically with Josh Bynes, who I think everybody on the defense side of the ball recognizes as just a bona fide leader, leader of men and, and all that, and all that kind of stuff. Joe Burrow's obviously the most, I don't want to say shocking because, because again, like everything that you hear about him, it's, it, it, it's validated and it's, it's just in unison about how much of a leader this guy actually is. But to see a 23 year old rookie quarterback who hasn't even played a game already with the captain's patch on his jersey, that that's special, man. And I think we have to recognize that. Agreed. And I also felt that, Based on, by the way, you were being kind about saying we we said 
Von Bell could be a surprise guy. I think you said that. Um, so we're a team here, man. We're a team. <laughs> you're too kind. So I think I think that yeah, I, I think the fact that Joe Burrow is a is a captain that speaks volumes. We among talking about all kinds of different uh, things with the Cincinnati Bengals. Trey Hopkins' name has come up in recent weeks, and uh, I was a little surprised maybe since he's kind of step to the forefront on some of these and, and being a little bit more vocal on some of these other issues out there. I was a little surprised that maybe he didn't get a nod here, but understandable about Bynes, Green, Bernard, guys, you know, uh, Green and Bernard have been in this locker room for a long time. Bynes, like you said, valued veteran voice. Huber been in the locker room a long time. Same with Sean Williams. So is I think it's a good mix. I think it's a good mix. Um, you know, you got your, your special teams kind of represented. You've got your offense and defense represented young guys older guys and i think it's a it's a good mix and uh they, they did well on on the captain designations brian creamer in the youtube comment section bengal's bell is a better leader than the reds bell referring to david bell the manager of the cincinnati reds right. um it, i think this is the first time at least from what i remember that there are seven captains i think it's usually been five or six maybe but i, I believe it was zach taylor who said that he had his offensive guys vote for two offensive guys and a special teamer defense votes for two defensive guys and a special teamer, and that's how they ended up with seven. Maybe it was three. I, I'm not 100% sure on the process. But the guys that they did pick make sense for everything that we've heard about, their leadership capabilities this year. And I'm just glad we had another excuse to see Giovanni Bernard's fantastic mustache. Yeah, uh, someone had brought that up there. Um, his His mustache is just pretty unbelievable. I'm trying to find a picture of it, but it is... Very Magnum PI-ish. It is uh I, I don't know. I don't even know how how would you describe what, what's the best way to describe his mustache? It's it's full, it's bushy, it's it's there. <laughs> there. There was like there was some meme that was circulating like a couple years ago, and I think it was somewhat problematic, but it was just it was just this dude with this this, this thick mustache that looks exactly like Geo's, and I was trying to find it and I, and I could and I couldn't end up finding it, but um that that, that was the first thing that came to mind. Couldn't couldn't end up finding it. Well, let me let for those who have not seen it. Um, here's it's his ESPN. Since we had Ben Baby on the program, we'll give ESPN a little shout out here. It's his ESPN stat page. Take a look at that bad boy right there. That is just as as full of a mustache as you can get, and that is not a, a mustache that I can. Like that's, that's that's not a handlebar. That's that's just a full on like that, that's like that's a, that's a barbell, right? I don't know. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, so it, Giovanni Bernard's mustache getting a lot of run, uh, this, <laughs> this past week. I, I don't know. I don't know why it's taken this long for this past week to, you know, for people to catch up to it, but whatever it's pretty I chose funny. the wrong wheat to shave, by the way. Uh, yeah. Especially when we're, when we're talking about Gio's mustache, any other news and notes you want to get to before we get to our new segment coming up here, John? Hmm. Nope. I think we should just move on. Okay. So. We will move on, and I didn't even—I didn't even consult with my co-host here. I just had this grandiose idea of a new segment for the regular season, and I don't know. We'll try it. Hopefully, it doesn't fall flat on its face. What we're what we're going to call this segment is "Call Your Shot," and what this is is an opportunity for us to talk about a prediction for the game. Uh, score prediction and outcome, but also maybe some wild predictions, etc. Um, going going into week one. So, John, um, do you do you want to start or do you want me to start this one? 
Oh, man. Um, y- y- you start. You start. Okay. I-, I should take the heat off of you since, I- since I've created this. I am going uh, I'm going to say that I will I will go against Ben baby I think the Bengals can win this game and I think it you know I think it could be a coin flip type of game but I do think the Bengals can win it um, but you know that it's gonna take it's gonna take some clean play it's gonna take some improve noticed improve it improvement among a lot of different players especially new players that are in the lineup so I will say this that I think the Bengals will win and I'll call it 23. I'll call it 23-20, Bengals. And what I'm going to say is you are going to get rock solid, not average, not above average. You are going to get rock, rock solid star type of play from your tackles. New left tackle, Jonah Williams, and embattled right tackle, uh, Bobby Hart. Those two guys will come up huge against this vaunted Chargers defensive line. Come at me next week because I'm sure I'll look silly. But I think that's where I'm going to go with my wild prediction this week. I look at this like I don't know. I wish I knew the history about this, about how many times a team was a three point, three and a half point underdog as their home opener. I mean, it makes sense because the Bengals were trash last year and the Chargers are a really good team. I think they're better than a lot of fans give them credit for I think something has to has to culminate it has to matter about what this offseason was for this team I think there's a tangible sense of urgency and I don't know what what, what the the emotion or the verb is for just feeling doubted but I I just think that they come out of this game and they and they score an opening drive touchdown and I think Joe Burrow has a phenomenal start to the game it's not going to last the entire four quarters or or 60 minutes because, again, this defense features two amazing quarterbacks in Casey Hayward Jr. and Chris Harris Jr. Um, this year, Adderley is, is an up-and-coming uh, player at safety. If they had Derwin James, you know, it would be hard to see Joe Burrow having any success in this game because that's how much he matters. But even with A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd out, like, that, those are tough matchups with with Hayward and Harris. And not, not to mention the guys we've already mentioned in Bosa and Ingram, but for the first drive, I'm expecting a touchdown, relatively quick, extremely efficient, and then everything kind of just evens out from there. It's it's, it's a tough game. It's a close game because of, of everything that's just colliding. The Chargers are the better team. They have the better roster. They have the more experienced guys at the most important positions. But the Bengals, they don't have to travel across the country. And, yeah. they, and they're, they're just, they're just, they, they compiled nine months worth of negative energy that they've heard, and they just channel it in just, in just one game to just – they have a clean slate and they have a chance to actually do something with it. So beginning of the game looks fantastic. Everything else evens out. I don't know who's winning this game, to be honest with you. I think it's easier to predict a loss because the Chargers is just that much better right now than than the Bengals that, that we know of. But first drive looks fantastic. Everything else after that evens out. I'm going to put you put you to the fire a little bit. Who do you have a prediction on who scores the touchdown or how the Bengals score that first touchdown opening drive? You got. You I got think it's one of the. I think it's one of the tight ends I, because we've been hearing like lately that Burrow's been going to his tight ends a lot in the 11-11 periods. Um, I don't know how much Drew Sample's going to play if he's going to rotate in with CJ Uzoma or he's just going to be on the field. I remember last year we talked. Me and Jake Lisko, who's still in this comment section for some reason, we talked to Zach Taylor and he talked about using multiple different types of 11 personnel, where it's not necessarily three wide receivers. You can have two tight ends and make it appear like 11 personnel 
in some type in some of those formations. And I wonder if that's maybe what they are wanting to do if Burrow is forming this, these connections with both Uzoma and Drew Sample. So maybe they both see the field together more often than maybe we, we, we may think because this team was so heavy in just traditional 11 personnel last year. But there's apparently a, a, a good connection that he's been making with his tight ends. And I think that's that's one of those two guys is who catches the first Burrow touchdown. I'm just calling it right now. Okay. Look, I, I said this could be a coin flip game because I truly believe uh, – some some people believe that the Chargers are a mile ahead of the Bengals in terms of talent and who they have. I think the Derwin James loss uh, in terms of injury is a massive loss, especially when you're going up against a, a rookie quarterback. We talked about that on uh, pr- uh, previous shows. I think that's just a, a massive, massive loss for the Chargers. Not to say that they still don't have a lot of talented players, but they're going to need to try and acclimate to life without Derwin James. And it may be tough this first week trying to, especially without preseason games and all of that, it could be tough for them to try and um, get their defense playing in a way right away that they want to. You've got Tyrod Taylor, who hasn't been a starting quarterback for a while, now making a start on the road. And, you know, I, I, I don't see, even though the Bengals are coming off a 2-14 and 14 season, I, I don't really see this large chasm of, talent differential I don't see a large chasm of you know this is an insurmountable game for the Bengals I think it's actually pretty winnable especially when they get the Chargers at this point in the season I I think it's pretty winnable so you know I'm pretty comfortable with my with my prediction I think even going I think I had a seven and nine season prediction um, for the Bengals and I think I had them winning this game this first game uh, all along so I'm pretty comfortable with with that Uh, I'm not comfortable with my with my call my shot Um, but hey why not? Why not go big week one, right? Uh, who who are you going to particularly be watching the most, John, this week in week one as the Bengals host the Chargers? I, I want to watch Burrow as much as possible, but I also want to watch cool. Jonah Williams, like him going up against both Bosa and Ingram because they kind of rotate sides uh, on that defense. Like six hundred and sixteen days, I believe six hundred and sixteen or six hundred twelve. That's how many days it's been since Jonah Williams played with Alabama against Clemson in that 2019 national championship game. Like that's, that's like 53 million seconds. I did the math actually for an article that's going up on since the jungle. That's, that's a long time yeah. between playing football. And I believe Williams was the, said in, in a press conference this week that he's using this game as like a, like a measuring like tool for where he is right now, because for all the work that he's done this off season, because he gained a lot of muscle mass and he's looked phenomenal in training camp and all that stuff is good. Like this is, this is the real deal. You're going up against, two of the best edge rushers in the NFL and the guy that you're working with on the opposite side is one of the worst tackles in the, in the NFL. So it, a lot of it's going to be on you and a lot of the pressure is going to be on you f- to keep your franchise quarterback in his debut clean. So I'm going to be watching him a lot. I want to watch where they use Von Bell in this defense. I want to see if they just use him in the box specifically, or they want to use bo- both him and Bates as kind of like two deep shells a- against Tyrod Taylor in this offense. So it's, it's going to be a lot of just, watching the new guys on on this team because these are the guys that are supposed to make this team better and maybe i guess we'll get a good measuring about how much better they are in week one i'm glad you brought up bell because he sean williams if he plays uh jesse bates that really i'm looking at the back end of the defense and really that that middle kind of part of the defense the safeties the linebackers because the Chargers have multiple backs that can run out of the bat. They obviously they're good running backs and Eckler and, and, and Joshua Kelly and company, but 
They can also catch out of the backfield very well. They've got uh, Hunter Henry, their tight end, who's a good good red zone threat. And for years, John, for years and years and years, tight ends, running backs you can catch, have gouged the Bengals' defense. They made specific acquisitions this offseason to help remedy that and other issues. Obviously, they want to be better against the run too, but being more athletic, being able to cover in space, cover the middle of the field, and keep plays in front of them so they can get off the field on third down – I think those players in the the middle and back ends of the defense, those especially those new acquisitions, those are the guys I'm going to be watching quite a bit because if they do not prove their worth, it could be a, a really long and frustrating day. Hey, I mean the the PFF's number one receiving running back last year, Austin Eckler, yep, 993 yep. yards Scary. receiving, eight touchdowns. Scary, Scary, yeah. and uh, he's been effective for a few years now and. Uh, that's one facet of the game that really worries me. So uh, I have them winning. I think you were kind of non-committal on a prediction. Maybe you know I I don't I don't I guess non-committal is not a great word. Maybe you haven't come to a conclusion at this point. Um, you know it, pr- predictions are never perfect. They just need to be made at a certain time. So if I am going to make a prediction, I'm going to guess a a three-point loss for the Bengals. But this is a game kind of like la- kind of like last year because. Bengals were heavy underdogs on the road in Seattle, and a lot of people thought that that game was going to be closer than a lot of people thought, and it ended up did be it did, ended up being closer. It was just the Seahawks were the better team, and the better teams usually just pull away at the end, and that's kind of what happened with this. Now they have the home field advantage, and again, they have all that energy from this offseason, and they have a number one pick at quarterback starting this first game. There's going to be jitters. There's going to be bad moments, but you know, despite the Chargers having the better team, there's a lot of things that are evening out that, and it's going to make the game close, but ultimately I just think it's going to be a, a, just a close loss to the Bengals. Quickly, John, quick spin around the division. We meant to get to this a little earlier, I think, but that's okay. Uh, quick spin around the division. Early game, the Browns travel to Baltimore. Some, <laughs> some of our listeners have been saying, talk about Odell Beckham Jr. because of some of the things that have been circulating about him. We're not going to go there. Uh, I, I definitely don't want to go there, but uh, – how do you see that game playing out? I think I, I'm seeing a Ravens win, um, maybe even pretty handily, but an important game to start the season for the AFC North. I don't know if you have any friends who are Browns fans, but my one of my good friends who is a Browns fan, he would not stop talking about how they actually beat the Ravens last year in that first game. It did a really good job of handling Lamar Jackson. I don't foresee that happening again. That, that offense is just too tough to stop, and I just don't think the Browns have the linebackers or the or the defensive ends to really handle that. Or not, not necessarily their defensive line is great, but th- that offense is just a, is a machine that can run over anybody, and especially when you don't have linebackers that can that can be effective even with a good defensive line. Like they they have the potential to run all over them. So I don't foresee that game being as successful as the first time that they played last year. Baltimore is newsflash; they're scary. Uh, I mean, I think I, I read an article that J.K. Dobbins, their second-round pick, very talented back out of Ohio State, I think he's third or fourth on their running back depth chart. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, I mean, that's saying something. He's a talented kid, and he's he, it's not like he's looked bad. He's looked pretty good. It's you got Ingram, you got Gus Edwards. I mean, you've got just this plethora. And then, of course, you've got Lamar Jackson also being able to run. So, I mean, uh, that's that's a scary team. I don't really see that going well for Cleveland. Um not to say that they, they won't keep it competitive and not to say that Cleveland won't have good moments this year, but I, that's a real tough game to start their schedule out with this year. 
Uh, and then finally playing along around the it's the it's the Monday night game, actually, uh, the early Monday night game, one of two, the Steelers travel to the Giants. You know, I, I tend to think that the Giants still are devoid of a lot of talent. But a lot of a lot of people are starting to get a little higher on them. They're starting to get a little higher on Daniel Jones, all of that. It's a home game against the Steelers. Ben Roethlisberger returns. How do you how do you see that one playing out? This is the one game where I know that Ben Roethlisberger is going to be healthy to start. So they already <laughs> have an immediate advantage there. <laughs> like I, I think Daniel Jones, I mean, the, the the jokes are the jokes, and they're mostly well deserved. He might be a little bit better than what we give him credit for, and he has the potential to grow into a slightly better player than he is now. But it's like still like there's there's nothing on that offense aside from Sterling Shepard and just Saquon Barkley, who at the end of the day, from how talented he is, he doesn't really matter that much, and especially going up against the defense in the Steelers that was so great last year, but like it, it still has the potential to be just as great. Like regression is the thing and it attacks everybody, but the defense is dominant. And even with just no, no real good safeties or no good, no real good defensive backs aside from Mika Fitzpatrick, who's fantastic. The defense still has the potential to be devastating. And I just don't foresee a Daniel Jones offense beating them. I don't either. I, I think it may be a little closer than what I knee-jerk reaction initially think. You know, I'm like, oh, Steelers are beat them pretty handily. But I, I, maybe it'll be a little closer than that. But even so, an interesting game, again, throughout the weekend for Bengals fans to keep an eye on after their own late Sunday game. So uh, Cleveland travels to Baltimore to take on the Ravens early on Sunday. The Bengals have that later afternoon game on Sunday hosting the Chargers. And then you've got the Steelers, uh, on Monday night, traveling to New York to face the Giants. So interesting slate of games, and we'll get a clear picture in just a few days as to what's going on with the AFC North. John, let's drop the mic and get out of here. What do you got for us, buddy? I went to a wedding last year. It was my cousin's wedding. It was actually the first wedding in my family in, I think, over 20 years or something like that. It was the first wedding that I was like I remember being at. And for their final song, they played um, – uh, all coming back to me by Celine Dion, and that song was featured in, I believe, an ESPN NFL commercial that debuted about a week ago. I, I don't really get emotional with commercials nowadays. I feel like I'm just too cynical for that. But I, I did feel something, and it was just because, like, for everything that happened this off season, just not in, with football, but just in life, with everything that we've talked about and everything that we've had to deal with, like. A lot of that was necessary. Like we had to tackle these issues. We had to talk about these certain things, no matter how uncomfortable that it made us. But the fact that we're here now, able to still cover the NFL as as a job, which as an occupation, which is fantastic, and for the NFL to to be actually happening despite no bubble and to only have like a handful of people testing positive for COVID nineteen, which is still running rampant throughout the world, for this to actually be happening, I don't know. Just kind of. It just kind of hit me in a way, and I just, I just, I just felt like a sense of vulnerability, a sense of goodness for the first time. Just realizing that this thing is actually happening, and who knows how long it will last. But at least on this show, we're going to take advantage of every week that we can get. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I hate to say that I have not seen it yet, um, but I, I have heard about that commercial. I uh, so yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, very interesting commercial from what I understand. So good stuff there. I'm going to, I'm going to go with this. 
former longtime Bengals linebacker Reggie Williams, and we were in talks to try and get him on the program earlier this spring, thanks to one of our good good listeners, Mike Holbrook. Uh, he connected us there, so we'll we'll try and do that again. But Reggie Williams, who played on both Super Bowl teams for the Cincinnati Bengals, is uh, has just released a book. Uh, it's not only about his Bengals career; it's about the injuries that. And, and by the way, he's had a number of injuries that almost caused him to lose an egg to ampu- uh, leg to amputation. Um, he's he's gone through a lot. He's been a businessman. He's in, he went to an Ivy League school, experienced a lot. And by the way, for those who uh, listen to Bengal Jim Sunday Night Football program, uh, they had him on this past week. Interesting there. But I, I want to promote Reggie Williams in his book. For Bengals fans, especially longtime Bengals fans, that remember seeing him throughout the '70s and the '80s, just a warrior for this team. Uh, really, an unheralded guy uh, in terms of overall NFL folklore. But um, he did put out a book. Apparently, you can buy them at a bookstore out of Sarasota. I think it's one bookstore or bookstore one um, out of Sarasota, Florida, and he, and they're signed copies. And I think they're about twenty-seven dollars to thirty dollars. So I just want to plug that for him. We'll try and get him onto the program again. We'll reach back out to him. We we kind of had a little bit of an agreement there, but uh, some scheduling stuff came came up. But if you're a Bengals fan, especially a longtime Bengals fan, I recommend that you check out that book from Reg, Reggie Williams. Seems to be an awesome guy. And, uh, you know, uh, I just want to plug that out there because I know he's been pumping it out on some of the Bengals channels. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Enjoy week one. By the way, got to remind you, check us out Sunday afternoon pregame show, one hour before kickoff. John Sheeran, Matt Minnick, and I will be tag teaming that. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, I, I hope we have a lot of a lot of engagement, a decent audience for that. Um, it'll be interesting because you know if we have a similar season like last year and we're like one in six, we have to generate content during it. Like I'm, I might as well just like make it like a real tailgate and just like pull out a folding chair and just like dive on it like Buffalo Bills fans <laughs> do, and and their tailgate. But you know, just 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 bear with us for the first couple of weeks. We're, we're still trying to figure out what we want to do and how we want to run this thing, and yeah. especially if content does does become a little dire and, and dry along the way but it should be fun the whole purpose of it is to be fun and yeah just come in and expect anything yep so and and we'll we'll take some feedback if you want us to do some certain things on the show on that show um you know we'll, we're open to it like i said it's kind of a nebulous thing and a, a new thing but we're excited about it and it's brought to you by narragansett beer dave lennox in the live youtube chat says is there a, a listener questions friday yes we are planning on it so um we're gonna it'll probably be later in the afternoon i think at that point um some stuff has come up for me personally appointment wise the first part of that day so uh, i may have to push it to later but we'll see john and i will talk and we'll get it get out there um but yes we are planning a listener questions show as well on friday to help you get kicked off with week one our thanks to ESPN's Ben Baby and to my co-host John Sheeran for coordinating that interview and his appearance on this program. Get the show on any number of platforms. Subscribe to our channels. Not only listen to this show, but Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk and Orange is the New Black, the podcast by Ace Boogie and Zim Hude. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. We'll see you soon, hopefully before week one. If not, we'll be breaking it down next week for you. Who knows?